is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vunganyi. Thank you for joining us. Now, have you been in a space, whether professional or social, and not felt welcome or that you belonged? That is usually referred to as being othered. And this psychological phenomenon that pervades every aspect of our society often affects how individuals regard and treat members of what they refer to as their mainstream or quote-unquote the in-group versus the members of the out-group. Uh, the, the feeling of uh, being othered is definitely not a pleasant feeling. I mean, there's something about being celebrated for what is celebrated by, by society in terms of uh, physical characteristics that can be placed on the, the, the spectrum of what is standard beauty and so on and so forth. That is Hannah Bezad, a Moroccan technologist and changemaker. In her new book titled Being Other, Hannah offers some observations that highlight the special qualities and capabilities of people who live outside of the mainstream and often dare to question the established status quo. Hannah will be the guest on our show today. But as always, we want to hear from you, our listeners. In the past couple of months, we have seen a number of natural disasters affecting lives of thousands of people on the continent. From the earthquake in Morocco to the floods in Libya, the challenge for many countries is their preparedness to respond to these natural calamities. And we asked you if indeed your country is prepared to handle a natural disaster. Here is what you said. My name is Omele Brian. I'm a Kenyan. Personally, my country, Kenya, I believe we are not fully prepared with these natural disasters. Why? I think it's because of uh, the money. All these things need finances. And uh, one of the major funders of the African continent are the Western countries. Also, us as Africans, we should reduce, especially our leaders, they should reduce... Uh, embezzlement of funds it is uh, top notch in Africa so I believe if our leaders reduce on it we can be able to take our continent forward uh, personally I believe that uh, one of the key measures is that Africa we should speak in one voice in Uganda I don't think we are prepared for natural disasters and thank God we have not had any measures uh, I think financially we are not prepared for them. That means there is a lot lacking in the government for preparation. Like earthquake is not controllable, but if in case it happens like in Uganda, you'd expect the government to come in place to help the locals. Coming, The government coming in place would mean bringing in resources, providing uh, maybe food and then uh, sleeping and whatsoever equipment that people need. For other countries, maybe... Like where it happened in Morocco, I think the government was prepared for disaster. Was prepared for disaster. Uh, my name's um, Nakate Dafin. I don't think our country is fully prepared because currently our economic status is quite low. It's quite challenging because uh, the poverty levels are increasing day by day. And if we look at our economic status, is not strong enough to. To, to, to cater for the citizens, then I don't know how it can be able to finance in case calamities as such do happen. Radio full effect. Up front, up front, let's go. What's up, Africa? You are listening to Up Front on the Voice of America. 
many thanks to all of you for those contributions to the question of the week. This is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vunganyi. The phenomena of othering refers to how some people or groups of people are categorized as not fitting within a professional or social group. It can be influenced by a number of factors, including differences in race, ethnicity, gender, religion, nationality, sexual orientation, disability, or any other characteristic that sets someone apart from the perceived majority or norm. Othering often manifests in a number of ways, including exclusion, stereotyping, discrimination, and many other ways. Inspired by her work in the male-dominated tech world, Hannah Bezard shares her experiences of being othered in spaces that were not traditionally occupied by women, let alone black or brown women. She writes about the challenges and opportunities faced by leaders, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are, quote, defining success on their own terms. Hannah joins me from Portugal to talk about her new book. Thanks, Jackson, so much. Actually, you and I met uh, in D.C. and we had these conversations about this experience that I had in Rwanda in East Africa and this moment where I was at where it was about integrating all these changes. Um, and it's, it's very much the moment where I decided to kind of make space for this book to, to be written. And I feel like um, I think the call for me was to reflect on kind of uh, the years that had passed where I embraced uh, so many changes in my life. So moving countries, returning to Morocco as a repatriate entrepreneur, female entrepreneur, uh, embracing the challenges, but also, um, yeah, this uh, this notion of being perceived as um, a very unique piece in the in the and you know business space, uh, too young, female, uh, coming from abroad, and then when moving to Rwanda and working in a Pan African organization. Uh, not African enough or uh, definitely too white. <laughs> um, you, you do have and, a certain, uh, visually, you do have certain ambiguity in where can you be placed. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Most of the time people don't know and so they put me in uh, in the, the countries where there, it's a mix. So Brazil, Israel, um, and they sometimes think of North Africa, but it's not too clear. Uh, it doesn't come to mind. Although now I think after the World Cup successes, maybe it will come to mind more. Um, Listen, when I first yeah. met you in Casablanca many years ago, I couldn't place you. And you know, there's well, there's a privilege. Yeah, go ahead, it go happened ahead. to me growing up in Morocco, and now when I go back, people speak to me in English, in Spanish, in Hebrew, and when I respond to them in Arabic, they're like completely caught off guard. <laughs> you know, from me, like you're from here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was gonna say that, that I guess there's a privilege in that being able to navigate these different spaces and not being boxed, but still. Um, you said earlier, says being in these different, mm -hmm. in, you know, tech spaces, you have not escaped that being othered. You know, mm -hmm. let's talk about being othered. Well, perhaps let me start by addressing the point of uh, the somewhat privilege of uh, white passing. I mean, definitely in a world where privileges are still kind of functioning the same way, where if you look at the wheel of privileges, when you're a white male, educated. 
uh, and tall and and thin and so on, you're kind of like the king of the world. And then you derive a number of other characteristics that can come to play. Different variables. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, in some instances, and especially I, I guess during my time um, in Paris, you know, uh, before I decided to leave and before the Bataclan attacks and so on, it kind of uh, yeah moved away from me some of the possible difficult interactions. Or when people don't know, they can of uh, they can be very genuine to you, and then you kind of know where to, to where they sit in terms of. Uh, consciousness quotient, emotional intelligence, uh, this, the feeling of uh, being othered is definitely not a pleasant feeling. I mean, there's something about being celebrated for what is celebrated by, by society in terms of uh, physical characteristics that can be placed on the, the, the spectrum of what is standard beauty and so on and so forth. And of course, when you grow up and you kind of like want to belong you you appreciate those validations, external validations, but there comes a point and many points in your life where it's about who you are truly and and you can't negotiate that anymore. And the fact is that we spend a lot of time working as change makers is kind of like a constant. You're constantly who you are, bringing change into the places you you operate in. And then this this uh, this need of belonging is something that cannot be taken away. As, as much as you work on uh, yourself, your ego, and so on and so forth, it's just a fundamental need. You, we all need to belong. And so uh, being constantly kind of perceived or put somewhere else or, or being tokenized is definitely uh, triggering. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and, you know, like the more you, you realize uh, the diversity and belonging conversation is actually really crucial when we come when we speak about change and uh, leadership and 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 uh, uh, shaping a, a future that is desirable for us for other species and so on. Hannah says that othering often leads to marginalization or not being fully included in mainstream cultural, social, or political processes. In companies, that often means that one is not part of the decision-making process. When it comes to places of decision-making, it's all the more important. And so that's why I advocate for deeper conversations. And I commend uh, those of us, the artists, the activists, um, that are in different capacities and different roles. You know, sometimes you can be an activist within an organization. Um, but I see uh, a lot more... Uh, uh, appreciation for deeper conversations and for an understanding of the complexity of the process. It's about unlearning, relearning at all levels, one by one, and and it takes time and it takes discomfort as well. Um, so let me let me take you on that tangent mm-hmm. as a, as a woman of color, mm-hmm. uh, which you know obviously again we you know kind of goes into that conversation of. Uh, uh, of, of you know the ambiguity of your identity. Um, what are some of the things you had to unlearn just as a woman in these spaces, uh, and about acceptance, about your know, privilege, about um, all these different factors that make mm-hmm. you who you are as a person? Yeah, I guess the first thing that comes to mind when it comes to unlearning is um, the sweetness and kindness. You know, the the way we're being brought up um, in in my culture. 
uh, is to be pleasant and, and there's a philosophy, there's depth into it, as in uh, there's poetry and the beauty and so on. Except that sometimes you get into professional settings where, you know, other people don't have this sense of being pleasant and they don't even have this culture, they don't understand where that comes from. There's, there are cultures that are a bit more direct. Uh, say Dutch people are a lot more direct than Arab people in their communication and that comes into play when when you are in a professional setting of collaboration uh, so at times other people that are just direct can seem to me if I had if I couldn't unlearn my own conditioning it would have seemed to me very rude um, and and I would have been triggered but of course thankfully with uh, global exposure you kind of like understand where people are coming from however this thing of being kind is not always appreciated so then you, I, I feel like I'm, I'm saying this to people I mentor women I mentor in particular that it's not about removing yourself from this fantastic beautiful skill of uh, leading from the heart and uh, understanding the, the power of kindness but it's more about being able to understand with whom you're interacting, what they are, their level of receptivity, and how can you best adapt in order to come from a truly loving and caring place. And then in your behavior, adapting in order to not let any perception diminish what you can bring to the table. I want to take you back again to those conversations we had in Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago when you're conceptualizing, you used, you've been in different spaces, you went to school, uh, you grew up in Morocco and in Paris, went back to Paris. When I met you, you had just started a, a dual tech, a uh, whole other conversation for our listeners and viewers. Uh, I will refer you to some of our earlier conversations with Hannah. Um, but you, you, you had a wealth of knowledge and information and experiences at such a young age. W w what is the one thing that you really wanted to put across with the book? Yeah. With this project? I guess in addition to writing being definitely one of the most therapeutic uh, modalities I've known, it's also for me answering this calling that I feel very strong about the shifts in power dynamics and mostly accompanying a shift in terms of the rise of the feminine and the feminine energy. And that applies to workspaces, innovation, entrepreneurship, technology, sustainability, and so on, which are professional spaces I'm familiar with. I guess my main message of this book is that we are at unprecedented times of uh, need for renewed sort of leadership. And this renewed sort of leadership will come from, say, women and black and indigenous and women of color who have a, a particular life experience and who carry knowledge and from their ancestors as well that can we can tap into for, for to in order to accompany the rise of their creative leadership but to feed into the systemic changes that we all need so that's one of the key messages of this book and and it's about inviting everyone into it but mostly giving tools and so in in a way in addition to it being uh, a non-fiction essay that takes from my experience but also takes from many conversations and many other com uh, experiences that I bring to the table of other female entrepreneurs from Africa, from North Africa, mm -hmm. from uh, uh, the Americas and so on. It's about giving those tools. So each chapter has an exercise uh, in order to feed into the inner work that's necessary to put out a work that is authentic and that is relevant for our times. Well, what do these uh, lessons or uh, chapters look like? You um, have to write down things, you have to like, you know, have discussions. 
Is it like a textbook yeah, type? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's a mix of both. I mean, some of them are very situational. Um, when it comes to communication and speaking with grace, for instance, which is one of the topics that I talk about, how do we speak our truth with grace when we're being challenged and triggered by things that are unfair, say we're being discriminated against over and over, and it's microaggressions. But at the same time, we there are many other things uh, we put into the equation that makes us uh, feel like we may need to stay uh, and, and sit at, at the table. But all these questions that come with our being othered, um, I, I invite uh, the, the readers to put themselves into situations um, so they can practice and kind of enhance their confidence into their ability to speak their truth at work and not have to put on masks or shy away or um tweak themselves so much that they don't find that it's that it may kill their their essence and their soul at work it's not the point mm. um so yeah there are conversations there are elements to write like love letters um there are dan dance moves uh, i mean a series of things that i bring that i use uh in my yeah in your personal life absolutely absolutely yeah. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. My name is Akandwa Onesmas, as a law student at King Caesar University, Kampala, Uganda. The government should try to fund and put in place certain organizations or what or initiatives that can try to run for people who are facing calamities. A case in, a case in point is in Bududa, in Uganda, where we recently had landslides. But relocation, trying to get facilities for people to use in Uganda, was a problem. The Africans should form like rapid response team for Africa. If it happens in Africa, they sit, get solutions, already they are prepared, they have funds, they have resources and manpower, so that they can solve the problem before the communities around. We know no one is perfect. We can also get aid from out of Africa in terms of funds, materials. As you know, two heads are better than one. Combined efforts, work together. But the most thing is to be prepared nationally, internationally, and Africa. People must be patriotic in their respective countries. And we are back with Hannah Bezad. We are chatting with her from Portugal. Hannah is currently leading some workshops around her book, the new book, Being Other, which comes out in October. I want us to talk about intersectionality. Uh, mm -hmm. As uh, um, as we know, it's important to recognize the experiences of, of black women, brown women, minority women uh, in, in spaces like tech where you are. How do you define intersectionality? I feel like it's the embracing of the multi-layered um, identity we we have, and so of course there's gender, there's uh, sex with it. It's not the sexual orientations, absolutely not the same, um, and there is um, uh, you know uh, your ethnic uh, group. Um, in some places, it's actually difficult to claim this, you know, like, for instance, for the longest time in France, given they had, they have their own unique history, it's, they don't have ethnic, uh, um, kind of, uh, data, uh, mm. about, uh, population and, and makes it hard for activists to say and to claim, for instance, that Arabs and black people may be less 
maybe treated less uh, uh, in a less acceptable manner in in hospitals or public schools. Whereas in the U.S., you can see that activists at least have the capacity to develop research around it. Mm. Uh, legally speaking, it's impossible in France, so that's an issue. Uh, so, so definitely, uh, your ethnical group, uh, the way you speak, some of your disabilities your height, many, many things, whether you're documented or not, uh, your experience, uh, your life experience varies uh, uh, dramatically if, if, uh, if you are documented or not, if, if you're allowed in a, in a place or not. Let's talk about tech entrepreneurship. I feel like this is a topic you and I have chatted about many times, uh, especially for women of color um, who have chosen to pursue entrepreneurship in the tech industry, you know, whether it's founding a startup like yourself with Duartech and others. Talk to us about some of the challenges that exist in these spaces and some of the biases. Yeah. You know, Jackson, frankly, I feel like we can, we have talked about this a lot, but we'll, we'll be continuing to talk about this a lot because things are shifting and changing so slowly. I mean, I see how now in the, in the common speech, like it's, it's more and more positively um, promoted, accepted that women of color, there are like funds dedicated to black and brown funder, uh, founders and as female founders in particular, but truly when you look at the numbers, it's so little. I mm. mean, less than 2% of the funding goes to female-led companies, even less to uh, bio-led companies. Uh, it's dramatic. I mean, most of it goes anyway to, to white women. So, and, and, and then you have to look into industries. Right now, I lead the operations for a startup called Sovereign Nature Initiative, and we bridge conservation organizations with Web3. And when you look at the funding that goes to conservation, and conservation is mostly uh, done around the globe by uh, women Indigenous of color. communities, yes. Yeah, mm. they have access to less than 1% of philanthropic funding. And when it comes to challenges, I would say definitely, yeah, access to, to, to funding, access to resources. Um, and then the daily life, as in... Uh, you have to develop such a skill set of, of uh, uh, coping mechanisms and humor to just navigate the, the being diminished all the time as soon as you get into a room that's decision making. And that was a choice I consciously made in, instead of turning into a bitter <laughs> uh, a person, I choose to kind of continue blossoming every day and coming Absolutely. from... We're chatting with Hannah Bezad. She's a technologist and entrepreneur. Hannah is the author of a new book, Being Other, in which she offers some insightful observations to highlight the special qualities and capabilities of people who live outside of the mainstream and dare to question the status quo. The feeling of being othered can have significant psychological and emotional impacts, including feeling of frustration, anger, sadness, and a sense of not belonging. I wanted to find out from Hannah if she can share some of the strategies and techniques that she uses to manage and deal with the various stresses and difficulties that she encounters in life as a black and brown woman in some of these spaces that she has occupied around the world, whether it's in Europe or in Africa. Talk about the coping mechanisms. Uh, what are some of the coping mechanisms <laughs> that you have, developed, <laughs> you have developed over the years? I know the coping mechanisms you had in 2017 or 2018 when we first met 
are different from now because mm-hmm. one the landscape is changing this yeah. um, ever evolving world of tech that we we're in let's talk about how you had to cope uh, and some of the lessons you, you you have in the book about coping i guess my my uh, entrepreneurial path definitely put me also on a certain spiritual journey as in i always seek uh, elevation and experiences that help me uh god's knowledge and feel recentered and so there's uh in addition to meditation attending some ceremonies uh you know conversations with people that i consider wise and elevated and so on uh there are daily practices in order to just keep my nervous system um grounded Sentence. and function and, and functional yes because mm. you can get saturated with your own emotions with other people's emotions and so on so you know making sure that you have uh, a, a spiritual and an emotional routine or uh, hygiene i would say even that allows you to connect and interact in in a always uh, dignifying and respectful and loving manner it's it's mm. key yes for me definitely yoga meditation dance singing uh then traveling but, but, but that that comes that from a pla- that comes from a place of consciousness i mean we all cope people cope all the time mm-hmm. but um i guess some coping is better than other type of coping mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying uh, I, i feel like for me it just became super clear that uh it's you know you can be a very a fantastic mind and a very hard working person however if you let your ego uh come into play then you're not going the right uh the right route and then the other thing is that the more you advance on real challenges so some of the things that maybe you are the kind of person that uh is like uniquely positioned to tackle those challenges if like this is the type of ambition that you absolutely need like a, a compass and some some ways to uh uh gauge your intuition in a fast manner and so on and that comes with practices uh mm. so uh, there's that there's the creative energy as well to in order to be able to channel it right and channel it just not for yourself but also hold space for people in your team and so on and so forth and clear communication and all comes within a system it's very holistic and so uh it's true that it has changed since um uh, 2017 I, i feel very rarely triggered at this point um but also because i made decisions for myself to to that that were relevant and uh it does make a difference when you start deciding on uh being in an environment that's very supportive working on your relationships to make sure that your uh closer circle is is made of healthy and and again supportive uh energy uh balancing your energy in, in over bo- time in bo- your long term vision and so on and so forth in both your professional and personal lives absolutely i mean it's totally intertwined i think mm-hmm. we're at a point where it's close to impossible now to still do this uh you know uh differentiation separation. Yeah. separation and i would say also in the book i think the the call for feminine energy is stands on foundations that belong to afrofeminism and afrofeminism one of the i think key insights that i gathered in the last years was this notion of let's move away from an extra rational uh uh approach to life and decisions because this is also uh establishing a white male privilege actually what will help us is to move to 
uh, a notion of knowledge that is broader than this. And it's uh, this, this approach of sensuous knowledge that another author called Mina Salami talks about. And that oh, where we can, re, re, yeah, she's Norwegian Nigerian. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and from, from this foundation, we can see how in, um, in the, 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 the wisdom that our grandmothers uh, had or our mothers or people that are not necessarily like in the, the typical spaces of power, mm. uh, they actually are sitting in, in power and, and are a massive source of guidance and intuition that is equal to what uh, Harvard, MIT... Oh, West, these Western institutions have, uh, have told you. Yeah. And with that, we come to the end of our show today. Many thanks to our guest, Hannah Bezad, author of the new book, Being Other. And thanks to all of you who tuned in, whether it's online at voaafrica.com, where you checked out our podcast. Remember to connect with us on our social media platforms. We are on Instagram. We are also on Facebook. Just search for VOA Upfront. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington, wishing you a great week ahead, Africa. the sounds of Africa today, yesterday, and tomorrow. That's our mission in your show, Music Time in Africa. Hello, I'm your host, Heather Maxwell. Join me every Saturday and Sunday at 1500 and 2000 UTC and discover the best Pan-African music in the world. We play it all right here, only the best on VOA Africa. Around the clock, the Voice of America keeps you in touch with the latest news. Tune in at the top of every hour, every day of the week. For the five-minute VOA newscast. We bring you reports from our correspondents and interviews with newsmakers from around the globe. Give us five minutes and we'll give you the world.